Good morning. It's good to see y'all. If you're visiting, we welcome you and invite you to look in a, hopefully under a seat in front of you, there's a contact card. If you want to, if you have any questions, want somebody to contact you, want information about the, about the church, about Sunday school, whatnot, you can fill out what info you see, so see fit, and uh, put it in the box between the doors back there if you like. If you are visiting, you won't know that we are just cracking into John 1. There's a long haul ahead, a long and glorious haul ahead in the book of John. I think C.F. said we're, you know, he's, he's on a little 11 sermon trek right here in, in John 1. The deity, five, oh, oh, he says five, I, I doubled it. Five, fair enough. Um, we're in John 1 still, at John 1, 1, but you can turn to Luke 5, and I'll just recap John 1, 1. 11 on verse 1, we're right. 11 on verse 1, there are a lot of verses ahead. It will be glorious. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now flip, if you will, to Luke 5, 1 through 11. It'll be a story with which you're familiar. And again, see us focusing today on the deity of Christ as the power, his power over nature. Here's one of those many examples. Luke 5, verse 1. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so they stood there in amazement and fear, and, and we wonder at it and yet are not surprised because, and we keep saying it, and yet it's profound. It should be that these guys... You know, when, when he stills the water, they're going to say, who is this that can still the water? So we say it, it's Yahweh. It's the same one out of Genesis 1.1, created heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gracious thing. All, all you have done, all your work, all your majesty, what Craig just shared up here. But beyond that, even that you, to these men as well as to us, that you saw fit to make yourself known. That you've, through your spirit, through in the indwelling of the Godhead among his people now, you've let us know you. Let us look at this and say, oh, our Savior, our Captain, our King, he is our God, even Jesus Christ. Lord, may that never be a small thing. May it be, may it loom larger and larger in our minds what you, the Creator, the Master of the universe, the King and God have done and given to us. So may that stir us to, to action, indeed to a, to a faith lived out, 
for the honor of your name and the good of your people. Lord, we lift up this time. We thank you for it. We lift up CF. Pray that you would work through him this morning. May be faithful with your word. Even that, even that faithfulness will be through you, by you, for you, and of you. And may you apply it to all our hearts, Lord. We lift it up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 5, so just stay with that passage. But in beginning, I'm going to look at Luke 1, because that's what I'm expounding on, setting the groundwork for the rest of the book of John, but also explaining a key word in John 1, 1, where the text tells us in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word there for word is logos, and it means more than just a spoken word. It, it encompasses the thought, the ideas, the, the full embodiment of all that the word says. It, it's there in reality. And we're going to see that in a person of Christ because we're going to see his deity on display today as he exhibits his power over nature. So before we do so, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come in prayer this morning, thanking you, Lord, for this day and praying for our time here. We thank you for the songs that we were able to sing, an expression of our love for you, an expression of the great work you've done for us. And for the Lord's Supper, to remind us of the relationship that we have with you, because of your divine sovereignty and your plan, you brought us into a relationship and standing with you that is eternal. And we're thankful for that, Lord. So we pray that as we look at the word, we would better understand you and, and how you truly are. And that we live for you in a greater capacity with this understanding, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christ's authority over nature, or his power over nature, is a demonstration of his deity. His deity meaning that he is fully God. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is 100% God, an undiminished deity, 100% man without sin, in one individual, one person. Two distinct natures brought together in one, the unique one of God. There's never been one like him. There never will be another one like him. He is the incarnation of God. As John tells us in 1.18, he explains the Father to us. He physically comes and tells us who the Father is. You know, I was out working with some of my plants yesterday and stuff, and Around one of these areas, there's some ants. Uh, after this little rain we had this week, these ants decided to make them a little bed. The ants were there. They just pushed up the ground. I saw that little ant hill there, and I sat there and watched them. You know, if I wanted to talk to those ants or explain something to those ants, the best way to do that would be become an ant. I would get down on their level and explain antology to them in a in a greater capacity. 
and they would relate to me as being an ant. They would understand it better. But as I was looking down at them, uh, there was no way I could communicate to them to quit tearing up my flower bed and move their business off on the side property or somewhere. No way I could do that. But if I could become an ant, I believe I could march into that bed and convince them. I'd at least have a better chance. When God explains himself, he can do it through the vastness of the creation. He can do it through a variety of ways, but he's chosen to do it through his son. He says, I will come myself. And you follow the pathway through the Old Testament. What does he do? He comes through the patriarchs. He comes through the judges. He comes through the kings. All these people are representatives of God. And yet they can't fully explain God. Why? Because they're fallible people too. So in essence, what God does, he says, I'll go myself. Now, this wasn't a later determination by God. Understand that because the scripture teaches us that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was God's eternal plan. But you could see the progression as we go through. And then the incarnation of Christ, you get the full picture. So when we talk about the Lagos, the word, the word is the full embodiment of what that expression is. It's, it's the word on display. And that's who Jesus Christ is. So here in Luke 5, we're going to see where he demonstrates his power over nature. He begins here. Luke begins here. He says, now. As it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. They are going to come hear the word of God from the word of God. Amen. He's going to be on display right there in front of them. That word press means that this crowd, this multitude of people were pushing against him. He's on the edge of the, the, the lake there. He's about to go into the water because the crowd just keeps building why would a crowd come down to the, the shoreline like that? Well, the reason would be verses 40 through 44 in chapter 4, where it says as the sun was setting, verse 40, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on them, on every one of them, and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking him did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And then he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, so it was, as the multitudes Pressed about him. So this crowd is following him around. They're pursuing him. They're wanting to know more. And so they get down to the, the lake of Gennesaret and they're pushing him to where he's almost in the water. And it says, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. This would perhaps be later in the morning, probably right before noontime. Uh, because the fishermen would fish at night and they would fish during the day. <coughs> and there's a reason for that, because when they're fishing with a net, 
the water tends to cool down at night and it'll cool down in the early morning. And if you've done any fishing at all, you know that your dominant fishing late at night and early in the morning is going to be, shallow fishing is going to be really good because the fish will come up in the shallows as the water cools. There's more bait there. And so that's exactly what these fish have done. Uh, they've come up there, but these guys fish for them and they couldn't catch anything. So they pulled their boats up on land. The sun's coming up in the sky. It's starting to get hot. And so what they're doing is they're stretching their nets out on the beach there, the shoreline, if you will. And they're repairing their nets. They're cleaning their nets. They're getting all the weeds and debris out of them and uh, patching holes that are in them. Because the way they had to fish was they would put normally a net in one boat and then another boat would go out from that boat and would spread the net, would pull the net with them. And they'd get this net out, then they would take both boats towards the shoreline until they'd get the net up there, and they would encircle these fish and bring the nets back if they could. If they were in deeper water, then the boats would come together, and they would simply pull the nets up uh, to catch the fish. And this is all done by hand. It was a very uh, labor-intensive work, it's very difficult work. If you've ever pulled a net of that magnitude, it's very, very difficult work. But they would pull these nets in. So they're tired. They're tired. To top it off, they don't have any fish. The fish weren't there. It, they they uh, zeroed out is what happened. And so Jesus is sitting there teaching them, and these fishermen are over there fixing their net. Simon's one of them. And uh, so what does he do? Verse 3 says, he, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. Now, this is an advantageous position because as he pushes out into the water, he can speak and his voice carries up off that water. You've got to understand that in his day and time, there are, there are no microphones, there are no sound systems. He is simply preaching. You read about uh, preachers in the Great Awakening, Whitfield and some of these men as they went in these mining camps, how they would get up on hilltops and speak down the hill to the people. They would get in elevated positions. Even in those older churches, a lot of times, you'll see pictures with the pastors up in a booth up in a corner. And the purpose for that is so his voice will project out over the crowd uh, because they had to compensate for the sound system. They also didn't have air conditioning in those churches, so consider yourself blessed. Uh, we have a sound system. We have heating and air. You have a padded seat to sit in, uh, carpeted floorway. Uh, you've got the perfect situation for hearing the word. But back in, in that day and time, that was not the case. So Christ gets out in the boat. Significance of this verse, if you look at it, the last sentence, and he sat down and he taught the multitude from the boat. To sit down meant to speak from authority. It was a part of the rabbinical tradition. Rabbinical tradition meaning rabbis were their teaching. And their tradition was when they sat down, they were speaking from a source of authority. They were, they were speaking to the people and it, and it spoke of their authority. And so all this is, is Christ following their tradition, but he is truly speaking from authority. Because Christ is not quoting anyone. 
When the rabbis and the scribes spoke, they simply quoted what others said. When Jesus speaks, he is speaking exactly what the Father has commanded him to speak. He speaks from his own source authority. It's not a book or something. And uh, this, this impacted the crowds greatly. I just want to show you in a few places the responses to his speaking. Go to John chapter 12. And look in John chapter 12 at verse 49. John chapter 12, we're going to look at several verses, okay? John chapter 12, verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, <clears throat> what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that, he, that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. He speaks from source authority. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. His words are eternal. Words are not just some passing thought. They are the very expression of God to mankind. They are God's word to man. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. We see the response of the people. Verse 22 says, And all bore witness to him, and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? This guy is an apprentice carpenter and he's speaking words like this. They're starting to get a clue of who this carpenter truly is. He's far more than a carpenter. Carpenter is what he did when he was with his father. He has now begun a new path. And that new path is to present himself as, this, as the son of God. Look at verse 32 of that same chapter. It says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Christ spoke with authority to the people. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. You see comments made about his word. This is at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in uh, verse 28, Matthew 7, 28. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He spoke from a source of authority to the people. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark 1 and 21. It says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. It goes on. 
And there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Look, if you would, at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 45. The officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered him, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus, by night being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has come out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. People were astonished. They were, they were just beyond comprehension of his word. Look in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. They're not just mere words, folks. There's a logos of God. It is the truth of God going forth to the masses. And one last verse that will give you some insight on why Jesus was well received in his teaching. If you look in the 37th verse, um, the very last or close to the end of Mark 12, go to Mark chapter 12, verse 37. It says, Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. The religious leaders rejected him, but the common people heard him gladly. Who were the common people? They were the uneducated. They were the everyday Joe that happened to be walking around that didn't have the, the education that these other people had. But they were marveled. They were astonished. They'd never heard anything like this because Jesus spoke from his own authority. He, he spoke the very words of God to the people. And that's why it was so moving to the people. Falling back on our text in Luke. So he's in the boat and he speaks to them. And then after he's spoken to them, he's going to perform a miracle. In verse 4 he says, Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, 
We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. See, from Peter's mindset, Peter's gaining an understanding of who Christ is. But from Peter's mindset, Peter's like this. I'm a fisherman and you're a carpenter. What are you telling me about fishing? Do I tell you how to cut wood? That, I mean, we're looking from the human standpoint. If you were in a scenario, you could go down to Kima, for example, where the shrimp boats come in. That'd be like some common guy walking up and the guys are sitting there, man, we didn't catch anything today. I tell you what, dude, just take your boats right out here in the little harbor area here where these boats are and put your nets down and just drag you some shrimp up. What would those people do to you? They would laugh you to scorn is what they would do. They would look at you like you were crazy. And, and Peter, you can kind of sense he's like, this isn't going to work, but we'll do it anyway. We'll, we'll go ahead and do what you want us to do, Jesus. And that's what it says in verse 5. Peter answered, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. We're wore out. We're ready to eat and go home and take some rest and get ready to go out again. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. They're right, th they're right there, right off the coast, folks. And all these people are watching this. And here is a man that has no background in fishing. His only background is he made the fish. He made the water. He made those people. And see, that's veiled behind this individual. They don't realize that. They just see a carpenter is what they see. They don't see a king. They don't see a creator. They don't see the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth as he summons these fish into the net of these men, that the very fish follow his command. These fishermen know there are no fish in this area. No one fishes here. But when they let their nets down, the fish go in there. Verse 7, so they signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they're beginning to sink. They dragged these nets in and the number of fish is so great that the boats, the gunwale on that boat's probably just a few inches above the surface. These people are astonished. They're watching this with their very eyes. And there's something very significant that happens here. Verse eight, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. What did Peter see? Peter saw more than fish going into the boat. You know what Peter saw? He saw the omniscience and he saw the omnipotence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to the deep conclusion in his heart and mind, this man is God. And see, when we get a vision or a clear picture of who Jesus is, you'll know that he's more than a man. He is God. And that's the picture that Simon got. And Simon falls down before him. It says, and he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. This is a common practice of Jesus. When he would teach, he would very often follow up his teaching with a miracle. 
because he was given validity to the message that he spoke. If he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God and he's speaking to them about these things, these people are listening to him. And from their perspective, you've got to understand, they just see a man sitting there teaching. What is this? This guy's teaching is unbelievable. And then what does he do? He follows it up with miracles. You can follow miracles in the Bible, folks. Miracles in the Bible are given for authentication of the messenger. You only see them in a few places in the Bible. You saw them in the time of Moses. Moses had to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And who is Moses? Well, he's just another slave, son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was their perspective of him. All of a sudden he starts teaching. And what does God do? God performs miracles through him. Why? To authenticate the message. In the dark days of Israel, God raises up Elijah and Elisha. And what do they do? They do miracles. Then you see miracles during the time of Christ. You saw a few miracles during the time of the apostles. But you don't see miracles being done on a routine basis. Those people did not have miracle ministries. Their miracles were to authenticate the message that was spoken. It was to give validation to the message that was spoken. And so when Jesus speaks and he tells them, go right out here in this open area, throw your nets down and bring the fish in. And they, their boats are filled. They caught more fish than they've ever caught. And this is just the area that's right there off the, the shoreline. And they are shocked. And when Peter sees that, Peter is, is driven to his knees because he has a true revelation of who God is. He knows exactly who he is. And it strikes deep fear in his heart. He is struck with fear. Why would Peter be struck with fear and why would Peter go to his knees? Because when you truly understand who God is, you also understand how broken you are. See, people in churches today have so humanized God that God is often viewed as just another one of us. You know, you hear these people running their mouth all the time. Well, if I was God, or why does God do this, or why does God do that? These are people speaking from ignorance, okay? These are what the book of Proverbs refers to as fools. And it would benefit everyone greatly to understand that. That when someone speaks like that, they have not had a close encounter with God. When a person truly understands who God is, they are struck by the holiness of God. That's what strikes Peter. Peter's like, what has Peter seen? Well, go back in chapter 4. Peter in verses uh, 38 and 39 it says, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is Peter's house, Simon Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Then he goes out and he sees the multitude come in. He sees Jesus healing all these people. 
He sees him casting these devils out of people. And then he's sitting there mending his boat on the shore, listening to him talk. And all that stuff's in his mind as he's hearing Jesus talk. And then Jesus looks over and said, put your boat out there. Drop your net right out here. He says, there's no fish out here. That's what he's thinking in his mind. Nevertheless, I'll do it if that's what you want me to. All of a sudden, he drops his net out there. He's caught more fish than he's ever caught. Fills up two boats full of fish. And he, he is convinced. This guy had to bring these fish here. There's never been fish up in here. There's never been fish of this magnitude anywhere. This man is none other than God Almighty. You see the same thing when Isaiah walks into the temple. What's he struck with? I am a sinful man. Woe is me. You see it with Job when he questions God in Job 42. He says, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. You see it in Abraham. Abraham, when God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what does Abraham do? He says, I repent in ashes. I'm unworthy to even be in the presence of this man. You see it with a publican when he's praying with the Pharisees. He's out, he beats his breast and said, I'm not even worthy to call upon God. You see it with a thief on the cross. Thief on the cross looks at another thief and he said, don't you even fear God? He knew who was there on that middle cross. He knew who that man was. He said, we're in the midst of God. And when you're in the midst of God, you're, you're caught with one thing, and that is your own unworthiness. And that's what Peter sees. Peter sees a clear picture of God in this story. You see the same thing. Look over in Luke. Um, look in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got in a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And then a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him. See, he's not woke up. There's water splashing on top of him. The boat's being tossed to and fro. And Jesus has probably got his head up on some nets there and he's snoring. I'm like, what in the world? How does this guy sleep through something like this? And Jesus gets up. Master, master, we're perishing. Then he, aro he arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Who can this be? There's one answer, folks. This is God in our midst. The passage in Mark 4, which is a parallel to this one, let me read you that last. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And when he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey? See, they're not afraid of the wind and the sea anymore. They're afraid of the one that stopped it because they understand he's God. When Jesus demonstrates his power over nature, he is demonstrating that he is God, that he is the owner of nature. There is no power on earth like that. 
And Jesus puts his power on full display. And when his power is put on full display, it brings great discomfort to the lives of people. Because people are sinful. And the only one that could do this would be the Holy One of God. That is what Christ's power over nature serves to convince us of, that he is who he says he is, that he is God. And he demonstrates his power. Therefore, those people that hear him should be saying, his word is true. See, his power is demonstrated to authenticate his word. Jesus is God. When, when, when John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word is put on display and the word clearly defines that he is God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the word that we have. As you say, your word is life. Might we hold strong to that word, Father, and hold strong to our faithfulness to you. Might we go forth from here, Father, to live for you, not for ourselves. Help us to get a clear picture of who you are and to understand who you are and embrace that in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.